Well, we're continuing and we're going to actually finish up on our study of heaven today. And we've talked about all the aspects that the Bible lays out for us, all that God wants us to know about heaven. I don't think that's all there is to know. I think that's all God wants us to know. Now, there's a couple of things. We'll review them real quickly about heaven. We've talked about heaven as a real physical location. We know how to get there. We know that it, what is there. We know it's permanent. And we know who will be there with us. And we're praying that more and more folks are there with us. You get there instantly upon the moment you breathe your last breath. Angels come and usher you into God's presence and you are greeted when you arrive. You will have a job to do. For those of you who are looking forward to retirement, you got a job. Our bodies will be perfect, immortal, incorruptible. We will actually eat food and we will have some form of the bodies that we have now because people will recognize us. There will be rewards in heaven. There is a new heaven and new earth to come. And just before that time comes the millennium. Now, and there's so much more that it's, it's hard to comprehend what heaven's going to be like. But I closed last week with a statement that there's a reason that God gives us information about the end times, about heaven. How many are excited about prophecy? Now, if we are going to be raptured and all this stuff takes place after that fact, why do we care about what's going to happen if we're not going to be here? Well, I believe that God gives us this information so we can use it for ourselves. Now, the information we get is not just so we have a bunch of knowledge. How many know that? It's not just get a bunch of stuff in your brain. There's more of a purpose to it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, most scripture is inspired by God. All, all, everything is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. How many of you, when you read God's word, you realize how far far you fall short? The, the more you know, the more you know that you don't know, right? I like this. It says, it straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It's God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. So all this information about heaven and the millennium and the new heavens and the new earth, what does those verses tell us compared to this verse? It, well, it tells us that In these times right now, God's word, knowing that this is going to happen, God's word is given to us to make us realize what's right and to straighten us out. How many of you think you need to be straightened out? How many of you told that to your kids? I'm going to straighten you out. And make us do what's right. God's word is supposed to prepare us for that time, doing all that we need to do in preparation for when these things happen. In other words, these teachings about heaven are designed to elicit a response from us. If this stuff is going to happen, what should we do? Well, we're going to go back to a verse we looked at at the very beginning of this series, 2 Peter 3.10. It says, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and everything in them will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything in it will be exposed to judgment. All right, we got that. We did the new heavens and the new earth. But that verse goes on. It says, since everything around us is going to melt away, 
what holy, godly lives you should be living. You should look forward to that day and hurry it along, the day when God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that he has promised, a world where everything is right with God. Hold on to that word promise for a minute. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to live a pure and blameless life and be at peace with God. So if we're not going to be here, but yet God's word tells us, knowing this is going to happen, you need to live holy and godly lives. So that takes us to point one. As we look at these verses that we study about heaven, the first thing we need to do is we need to be ready. How many are ready? Verse 11 says, since everything's going to melt away, what holy, godly lives you should be living. So everything that we have now, all our possessions, everything we are, is going to be burned up. Right? Either we die and they leave us behind, or the rapture happens and we leave them behind. Either way, we're not going to have them. If that's true, Peter is saying, knowing that's going to happen, that when you die or when the rapture happens, you're leaving all this stuff behind. What are you going to do with that knowledge? He answers that by saying, you need to be living holy and godly lives. We just can't skate around doing what we want to do. We need to be holy and godly. The word holy here literally means set apart for service to God. And the word godly means having a character that reflects the holy attributes of God. Knowing that you're gonna, you could die at any moment, rapture could happen at any moment, and after that, all these things are going to happen. We're going to stand in front of somebody for judgment. How many know that? Everybody stands before God in judgment. In fact, the New Testament links the coming of Christ with the need to live holy and godly lives and does it several times. Colossians 3, 4. and says, And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly lurkings within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, and shameful desires. Don't be greedy for the good things of life, for that is idolatry. God's terrible anger will come upon those who do such things. You used to do them when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off the old evil nature with its wicked deeds. So what, there's, what Paul's telling the church in Colossians, even though you're Christians, you still sin, right? And you do these things, and God says you need to get rid of doing these things. And the Holy Spirit now fills us. We prayed for God to continue to fill us because the Holy Spirit now is your conscience, right? Every time you think about doing something that you know is wrong, the Holy Spirit should quicken you to say, don't do that. How many of you get these weird thoughts in your brains that's out of nowhere, these thoughts come in your mind? And you have a moment to choose what to do with them. Either sit and think about it, or the Bible says take every thought captive and dismiss that thought. And all these times these temptations come, the Holy Spirit is able to help us defeat them if we listen to it. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the day when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. 
1 John 3, 2 says, Yes, dear friends, we are already God's children, and we can't even imagine what that will be like when Christ returns. But we do know that when he comes, we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And this is the verse, And all who believe that will keep themselves pure, just as Christ is pure. And that begs the question, is every Christian, every person who names the name of Christ, going to make the rapture? If the Bible tells us in numerous passages that you need to be holy and godly, waiting for Christ to return, and if you're not living holy and godly, does that mean you're not going to make the rapture? Theologians differ on that point. My thinking is I'm not going to take any chances. Are you living, or are we living holy and pure? If living and holy lives doesn't matter, you know, since we're saved by grace, we're Christians, doesn't matter how we live, we're going to make it in, why does God mention it so many times in relation to the coming of Christ? I like this analogy. Randy Alcorn gives this analogy. If you are getting married tomorrow, and you have the date and the arrangements and you have everything set for tomorrow, how likely are you to be tempted to do something you shouldn't be doing? Probably not too much. Hopefully your mind is set and you're, you're ready to go. However, if you're engaged and your wedding is sometime in the future, you don't know when, it, it's going to be years in advance and you're still single now, you're not married yet, you're engaged but you're not married, how much temptation do you think you're going to face at that point? A lot. The analogy is, if you know Christ and you really believe Christ is coming back at any moment, you're going to be living temptation-free. You're going to be living holy, godly because you don't want to get left at the altar when Christ returns. You know, there's, on Matthew 25, I believe, there's the, uh, the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins. Now, there's different interpretations of that. One of those interpretations is that they weren't ready. They were, you know, they were getting ready to be married, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They weren't really living the right way. They weren't anticipating Christ's return. The five were, and they were ready. But the five who were anticipating it, they were kind of not ready for it, and they got left behind. So this knowledge that we're imparting to you, and now we can't say we don't know, which, by the way, have you ever heard the expression, ignorance of the law is no excuse? Right? You can't say, I, I, I didn't know it was illegal to steal. It doesn't work. And just because we, know, we not, may not know the Bible as well as we think we should know it, doesn't mean you're going to get a free pass. Because those things still apply whether you know it or not, whether you do it or not. There's still truth. So we don't want to be left at the altar. We want to be ready when Christ returns. We need to have our lives. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we don't sin. But we live as much as we can, holy and godly, directed by the Holy Spirit. The second thing we need to know is we need to know what God promised in his word. How many of you have a God's promise book? How many of you flip that open? You know, now, all those promises are blessing promises, right? I don't know if there's too many in there that say, you know, God's going to burn the earth up. I promise I'm going to burn the earth up. I promise there's going to be a judgment in your life. I promise that you're going to be judged according to your deeds. I promise 
We're going to look at your works to see if they pass through fire. Those are all the same promises that God's made. But we sometimes focus on only the good promises and forget the other ones. And sometimes we put the end times and heaven things on the back burner because, you know what, yeah, it's not going to happen for a while. We're not, you know, it's, it's been 2,000 years, and Paul even addressed that and said, you know, you think, you know, God's just taking his good old time. He forgot about you. He said, no, I'm giving you more time so the more people come to know Christ. But it's coming. And sometimes if we neglect those promises, knowing that judgment is coming, what happens when you neglect something? You become apathetic about it. How many of you have a car with a check engine light on it? And it comes on. And if it's on for so long and you don't do anything about it, what happens? You don't, you don't care. You just keep driving it. Why? Because you become apathetic about it. Nothing's really changed. Your car doesn't seem to act any differently. But it's there for a reason. And the more you neglect it, the more you're not going to care about it. And the more we neglect it and not think about that God is coming back at any particular moment, we tend to not care about it. And we tend to live our lives the way we want to rather than the way God told us to. How many of you, when you are at work and you know your boss is going to be gone for an entire day, and you're by yourself. Do you still have the same work ethic as if you knew he was walking in that door at any second? You're not playing solitaire on the computer because the boss isn't there. But if you know he could walk in at any second and you're playing solitaire, guess what happens? Knowing that Christ could return at any moment and there's a reason that God told, told us that no one knows when that's going to be because we want to be ready all the time. Knowing that, it should make our habits here change. You know, right now, the thing in the news is obviously the election and everything's, you know, all news every day, election 24-7. Can't get away from it. And if we focus on that only, we're going to forget the bigger picture. It doesn't matter what's happening here. I mean, it's all important and stuff, but we need to be focused on what God wants us to do. I, I read an article, or not an article, but a headline of Andy Stanley says, however the election goes will affect the world, but how it affects the church is based on how the church responds to it. You know, it's easy to get worked up and do things that are in the flesh because of what's going on. But God still calls us to do what the church has always done, right? Worship God, reach the lost, build up the saints. That hasn't changed. None of that changes. That's our job. It may or may not become more difficult to do it, but it's still our job. And that's what we should focus on. Doesn't mean we don't get involved and do what we can, but our focus is what God has called the church to do. Reach people. And you know what? People get saved when things aren't going so well in their lives. And maybe we've just had it too darn good. And maybe God needs to shake it up a little bit. I was thinking, I was telling Gil this morning, all I kept thinking was in the back of my mind when Israel said to, to God, we want a king. And God says, hey, look, here's what the king's going to do to you. He's going to do all these bad things to you. 
And people said, hey, we don't care, we still want a king. That's kind of what I'm thinking. There's a saying that says, people get the leadership they deserve. But it doesn't affect and change our mission, our goal as a church, as Christians. 2 Peter 3.11 says, since everything is gonna melt away, what holy godly lives you should be living. You should look forward to that day and hurry it along, the day when God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. The idea that God is gonna set the earth on fire is a promise. It's gonna happen. And he says we should look forward to that day. How many are excited about that day? (laughs) We're not gonna be here for that. But how many are really excited about that coming? Are you you happy that the rapture could happen in any moment? When I was younger, I was like, you know, I don't want to get raptured yet. I kind of want to wait. Let my kids grow up. But now that I'm older, okay, Lord, any time now would be good. Are you excited about it? The Bible says we should look forward to that day. In fact, hurry it along. If you're anticipating a great vacation, something that you've looked forward to for probably most of a year, how are you gonna feel about the troubles that happened the day or two before that, just before your vacation? And you know what, I'm in a good mood, I don't, I'll handle that later, I don't care about that because I'm looking forward to this vacation. Trouble at work, I'll get that later. I'm not, I'm not gonna let it ruin my day. We were in Florida and Lauren was, it was Lauren's wedding day. And the girls were out getting their hair done and makeup and everything done. And you know, Florida, summertime, it's a thousand degrees. And so they're they're all at the place getting their hair done. On the way back, they're dressed, makeup done, hair done, getting a car accident. And so we go up, we pick them up, and you know, kids are crying. We say, Don't cry. Your makeup, don't cry. <laughs> but you know what? At that moment. I asked, the, I asked the cop that was here, I said, hey, look, can you just take the car away and we'll handle it later. And you know what? It was a great day because we didn't let that little thing ruin it. When we're looking forward to being raptured or when we go to be with Jesus, all the little things that happen here, you know, not that big a deal compared to what we're gonna face when we get there because that's what we're looking forward to. We're not looking forward so much to next week or next month. We're looking forward to when Christ comes back. God's word says whenever trouble happens, it's not supposed to get you down because what? You have a great vacation coming. Philippians 3.20 says, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lived or lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. Titus 2.13, while we look forward to that wonderful event when the glory of our God, our great God and savior, Jesus Christ will will be revealed. Luke 21, 28 says, so when all these things begin to happen, stand stand straight and look up for your salvation is near. Are we really looking forward to it? Are we excited? Not looking at what's happening in front of us, but look what's happening, it's gonna happen in the future, which could be right in front of us. So we need to be ready, we need to know what God has promised, and we need to remember our purpose here. 2 Peter 1, 10. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Doing this, you will never stumble or fall away. 
and God will open wide the gates of heaven for you to enter into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, this is not a verse that tells us you have to work to get into heaven, all right? It simply means that as believers, God has given us X number of days, weeks, months, years. And we need to work hard with the time that God has given us and we need to be able to use the talents and abilities that God has given us. What are we doing with those? The verse says, work hard to prove that you're really among those God has called. How you live is dictated by what you believe. What do we do with our time? What do you do with the talents and abilities and gifts that God has given you? Time, the thing about time is you can't get it back. When it's gone, it's gone. If your kids are small, enjoy it now because you're not gonna get that time back. Same thing applies to our relationship with God. If we wait until everything is perfect to attempt something for God or to work for God or do something that you think is out of your comfort zone, you're gonna find yourself out of time to do it. You can't go back and do something for God that you felt you should have done in the past. Didn't feel like it then or you were too busy then or whatever. You can't go back and do it again. When your kids are grown, you can't go back and and correct the mistakes you made. And we can all say, I'll serve God when I have more free time, when I have more energy, when I have more money. Now, I'll teach that class when I see my name written by a lightning bolt in heaven. That ain't never gonna happen. You gotta use your time wisely because when it's gone, it's gone. You can't get it back. And you can't change the mistakes you make now or the things you wish you would have done now, later. Talents, gifts, and abilities. We all know what happens when we have a talent or gift that we don't use. What happens to it? It goes away, right? Talents or abilities are a, quote, perishable commodity or a perishable skill. If you're a good golfer but you never golf, you lose, you lose your edge. If you're a good teacher or leader or singer or musician or good whatever, fill in the blank, but you never use it, you're going to lose it. That ability will go away. And then it circles around the time. Not only will you not have the talent, but you won't have the time to get the talent back. You know, every year I kept thinking, well, you know, this year I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn a guitar. That was when I was 20. Well, you know what? <laughs> I'm not going to learn it now. Time, time stops for nobody. You can't go back and do what you wanted to do. First Peter 1.11, or 2 Peter 1.11 says, So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you're really among those God has called out and chosen. Doing this, and you will never stumble or fall away. If you are consistent in your work for the Lord, now I don't mean overextending yourself, it's possible to do that. But if you're consistent, you're not going to fall away, you're not going to stumble. And the wording of this appears to me that the more you don't work for the Lord, the greater chance you have of stumbling and falling away. I know folks at our older church that uh, 
Man, they were involved in everything. And then, whatever reason, they, they backed out of everything. And this is a consistent pattern for most. They were faithful attenders six times a week, you know, every Sunday, every Wednesday. And then it was every other Sunday. And then it was every third or fourth Sunday. Until finally, they walked away. The Bible says, if you work hard, if you are ministry, if you are doing things for God consistently, you're not going to stumble, you're not going to fall away. When I, when I worked in the sound booth, back at our old church before I was on staff, a lot of Sunday nights I didn't feel like going to church. <laughs> like, ah, oh, Sunday night. But I was committed to a ministry, and I knew I had to go. And every time I got there, I felt great about going, but the ministry keeps you involved in what God's doing. And the easier it is for to walk away and do nothing, the easier it's going to be to sit in your, in your bed on Sunday morning and say, you know what, I don't have to go today. Doing this, doing what? Working hard to prove that you're really among those God has called. It becomes easy to not work. It becomes easily easy to not be involved. When I was in Florida, the first church I went to was you know, 3,000 people. And I was able to walk in, sit down, and walk out, and no one noticed I was there or cared that I was there. And it, it's easy to go there and say, you know what, I can just sit here. No one bugs me. I can just listen to the sermon and go home. But I can't, I can't do that. Got to be involved. The teaching about heaven is supposed to encourage us that if heaven is for real and is imminent, we need to be fulfilling what God has called us to do while we're here. I have, heard, I have this phrase that God has no bench warmers. I mean, know what that. We're not riding the pine because waiting for God to do something. Everyone has something that God has called them to do. What need do you know that hasn't been met? If you wait for that bolt of lightning to say your name in the sky, you're not going to be able to do anything. And guess what? You'll be out of time to do it. We need to be ready. We need to know God's promises. We need to remember our purpose. And finally, we need to monitor our own progress. 2 Peter 3.17 says, I am warning you ahead of time, dear friends, so that you can watch out and not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people. I don't want you to lose your own secure footing, but grow in the special favor and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I found this out. It was a little tidbit of knowledge that sharks never stop growing. As long as they're alive, they keep growing and growing. If they live to be 50 years, they grow every year. Now, obviously, humans don't, right? When we get to an age, we quit growing this way, but we might continue to grow this way. But he's saying as long as we're alive, we need to keep growing. You never get to the point where you say, well, you know what? I know everything I need to know. The Bible says continue to grow. We don't stop. The minute we stop learning, what happens? We stop growing. And then we know what happens? You decline. How many took algebra in high school? How many of you use algebra today? 
Those of you who don't use algebra today, if I gave you an algebra problem, could you do it? I was telling Gil, I haven't really done any true, you know, accounting work for a while. I've done our work, but we got a loan for the air conditioners, and so I have to book that, and that, and part of that includes getting rid of the old loan and doing that as a as a journal entry. And I actually had to sit down and think about it because I'm like, I can't remember how to do this. I finally got it, but I hadn't done it for a while, and you know what? You forget it. Now, I never learned how to use a slide rule because calculators came out just as I was in high school, so I never had to use that. But anybody here use a slide rule? I know you use a slide rule. I couldn't use a slide rule to save my life. How many of you know how to conjugate a verb? Well, teachers. I have no idea. Can't remember. How many of you can speak a foreign language? How many of you took a foreign language in high school? How many of you can speak that today? I took three years of Russian in high school, four years of Russian in college. I can say like three words. Because I never get to use it. If I don't keep using it, I lose it. And the more we don't study God's word, we lose what we do know. We need to continue to grow. Like C.S. Lewis said this, we are like eggs at present. And you cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary decent egg. You must be hatched or you go bad. It means you either got to grow or you're going to die. Growth comes because God tells us to grow. Philippians 3.12 says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or have already reached perfection, but I keep working towards the day when I finally will be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. This is Paul saying, I, I'm not there yet. I haven't got to the point where I, I need to be everything I need to be. God wants us to grow. If God wants Paul to grow, guess what? God wants us to grow. Growth also comes through the knowledge, obviously, of God's word. Second Peter 2. You must crave pure spiritual milk. That was your verse this morning, wasn't it? So that you can grow into the fullness of your salvation. Cry out for the, this nourishment as a baby cries for milk. Now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Paul's saying you need to be hungry for it. You can't just be fat, dumb, and happy and not read it. You have to know it. And you have to be hungry for it. 1 Corinthians 3.12, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as, as I would to mature Christians. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world and as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk and not solid food because you couldn't handle anything stronger. Paul's kind of taking them to task. He said, you've been a Christian quite a while now and you're still a baby. You're not growing. You need to grow. You need to know God's word. You need to grow. And the only way to grow spiritually is through your knowledge and application of God's word. It goes back to not only knowing things, you have to do them. James 2.19, do you still think it's enough just to believe that there is one God? Well, even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. Fool, when will you ever learn that faith that does not result in good deeds is useless? 
That means whatever you know in God's word, you have to do it. You can't just amass all this knowledge, you have to apply it. James 1.22, and remember, it's a message to obey, not just listen to. If you don't obey, you're only fooling yourself. For if you just listen and don't obey, it's like looking at your face in a mirror but doing nothing to improve your appearance. I like that phrase there. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law, the law that sets you free, and if you do it, do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So when we say grow, we need to know grow in our knowledge, but also application of God's word. There's a lot of people that know God's word, theologians and, and preachers and stuff. They know what it says, but they don't do any of it. The devils know what God's word says. They know it better than we know it. But they don't do it. Growth lastly comes through God's church. Hebrews 10.24 Think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage and warn each other. Again, especially now that the day of his coming back is drawing nearer. So going back to, we're anticipating the rapture. Whenever Christ returns, we need to be ready. And he says, don't forget to get together. God designed the church to be a place where believers can encourage and bless each other. How many know church is not just to hear a sermon? Not, that's, you can hear that at home. There's a reason God tells you to come together. Every gift and talent that we are able to exercise in God's house is not only a blessing to us, Remember, we talked about gifts and talents. It's also designed to help those to whom you minister. And it also blesses you when you do it. How many are encouraged when you teach a class or do a ministry, whatever it is, and someone appreciates what you do? Blesses you, right? When I see kids that were in my youth group years ago, when I see them serving God, I love it. I have a, when I, my first class I ever taught was a seventh and eighth grade Sunday school class. Me and a friend of mine taught it. And I, have a, I still have the picture of the class. And the majority of those kids, I know where they are. And in fact, one of them is now married to the pastor of the church that I was in. So that was in seventh and eighth grade, and they're like 40 now. So it's been a couple of years. It's a blessing when you know that you, what you do matters in the life of somebody else. And it's a blessing to them because they know that you care about them. Best memories I have outside of my family are with church folk because that's basically all that we do. I've always been blessed and encouraged by those in God's house because that is God's plan. God's plan is that when you come, you may be a blessing to somebody else. Maybe what you say to someone or you pray with someone or, you, or a lesson that you hear or a verse that you hear or a song that you sing, something in there ministers to you that you can't get when you're by yourself. Now, we're gonna end these lessons on heaven. And we remember how awesome heaven's gonna be. But it's not here yet. 
And if we want to make it, we need to be able to tell ourselves and be assured that we're ready. That we remember why we're here. We all have jobs to do while we're here. And remember, the things that we do here will be reflected in the rewards that we receive when that happens. We need to also keep an eye on the progress we're making in God's kingdom. Are you growing spiritually? Are you the same as you were last year? Five years ago? Ten years ago? Is your faith increased? Is your reading of God's word increased? Is your understanding of God's word increased? If you're not growing spiritually, then what's going to happen? You're going to fade away. You look at a baby who's born, and there's a growth chart. I mean, the growth chart that the pediatricians use. And what happens when you fall off that chart? People get, people get nervous. Doctors get worried. When you're not growing as you should. As Christians, and especially in America where there's Bibles and teachings everywhere, we need to be growing. We need to be really understanding God's word. When I, when I do it, I read a, a commentary when I read part of God's word. I made one or two commentaries on what I just read to make sure that I'm growing and I'm not just myopic in what I've always thought about something. I want to know what God's word says about it. Keep an eye on your progress. Are you growing in the knowledge that you have now or just living on what you learned 10 years ago? When you're first a Christian, you're like a sponge. At least that was for me. And everything I was taught, it absorbed it. And to this day, I can tell you maybe a handful of sermons that I heard that really had an impact on my life. But it's dangerous to live in that area because there's obviously there's always more to learn, more to grow with, and you can't live on that. You have to live on what God's teaching you today. Situations in the world are different. Situations in your lives are different. But again, we have to apply God's word to that. If you were a Christian in the 80s, a lot different than being a Christian in the 90s and a Christian in the 2000s and today. Situations in the world are different, which requires us to respond in a different way. And we need to be knowing what God's word says about it rather than being reactionary to it in our flesh. Would you stand as we close this morning? Bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. You know, maybe you're here this morning and, and I say this because I was this person. You've been in church a long time. Heard a lot of sermons. But you've never really accepted Christ. You've never really prayed the prayer. You've never really said, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Church is something you've always done. But the church doesn't save you. and The church doesn't give you a relationship with God. Christ is the one that gives you that relationship. And the Bible says as believers we have confidence, we can be assured that we know that we have this relationship. So if you're not really sure if you have a relationship, that tells me that you don't have one. And this message was for you. Maybe you're at home and you're watching this as well. And you're not sure. And the Bible says these things are written that you may know 
that you have eternal life. And if you're not sure, then the Bible says that God's reaching out to you today. Today is the salvation, the Bible says. Not tomorrow, not next Sunday, not next, next month. Today. If you don't know Christ, your time on earth, just like any of us, could end today, could end tomorrow. And you need to be ready. If you're not a Christian, you want to know Christ, you want to be forgiven of your sins, you want to have a right relationship with God, not a religion, not a, not a church to-do list, but you want to have a relationship with the living God. And I want to pray with you. Father, thank you for opening up the eyes of people who either are watching at home or in this church right now or watching this in the future sometime. As we mentioned at the outset, Lord, your Holy Spirit is the one who removes blinders from people's eyes and lets people understand the gospel. And Lord, I believe that you're doing that this morning. You're removing that from people's eyes and they're seeing the truth. And I pray that your Holy Spirit seals that truth in them that they would understand that without Christ they are sinful and they're not going to make it into heaven. But with the forgiveness of Christ that he has offered because of his death on the cross, now they are assured of a resurrection because of his resurrection. And they can be confident in the fact that whenever their life is over here, they will be with you in paradise. And I pray that, Lord, you fill them with your spirit, help them to understand that they now have a relationship with God, that their sins are forgiven, they're clean. You remember nothing of their past. And you only equip them to live from now on with the power of God to be able to do the things they know you've called them to do. Father, I thank you for allowing us to be here. I thank you for our anticipation of what is going to happen and the need for us to be prepared for it. So Lord, I pray your blessings upon each one here. Let us leave with that new encouragement, that new sense of urgency that what we do today matters in the kingdom of God. So Lord, I pray your anointing and blessing upon each one as we leave. Use us this week to touch someone's life with the power and the love of Christ. And we ask it all in his name for his sake and glory. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a tremendous week. See you here on Wednesday as we continue our study on demonology. We have one or two more weeks of that to go.